Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Are you paying him good money to keep things working, but there are still constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues? Are you worried he's not backing up and securing your network? And does your head hurt from having all these issues to deal with? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital at 843-664-8989. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage Digital will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your IT network works correctly all the time, and it's for one low monthly fee. This is a turnkey solution, folks. And with clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. So if you're sick and tired of the constant computer and network issues, call Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital today at 843-664-8989 and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once and all and forever. 843-664-8989, heritagedigital.com. Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherwood. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, Tuesday, November 2nd. J.C. Sherbert here with you. I hope you all enjoyed your open week. I have noticed this, um, my uh, direct messages, PMs, if you will, private messages on the big spur were not blown up. People asking why they were banned from the message board. (laughs) So I guess the Gamecocks didn't have a game. Um, Anyway, thanks to Heritage Digital for sponsoring this first part of the podcast. Going to talk a little bit about Florida. Um, You know, Florida comes into this game in, in sort of some disarray. Uh, Dan Mullen this week, you want to talk about optics and press conferences and all that, uh, you know, said he wouldn't talk about recruiting. And then it got juxtaposed to Kirby Smart, who said you got to recruit 365 days a year. Uh, and, and that's true. And then Florida shuts down all media availability outside of the coaches teleconference for the SEC that's required by the league for the rest of the week. I thought that was interesting. Um, but here come the Gators. Uh, this is a talented team. They're more talented than South Carolina. Uh, they're faster. They've got playmakers. Uh, both quarterbacks can kill you on the ground. I, I think Richardson's a little more dynamic than Jones, but obviously Richardson struggled mightily against the Dogs Saturday. Uh, they'll turn it over. They won't play all that well. We all know Todd Grantham's defense at times, although I thought, I thought Florida's defense actually played – inspired football uh, against Georgia. I mean, Georgia ran up like 24, 21 points on turnovers uh, before the half, and the game was essentially over. But, uh, you know, it's a hit-or-miss defense. And um, as we've seen with the Gamecocks, uh, when they've played the Gators the last few years, Carolina's moved the ball. Uh, even last year, I know everybody wasn't a fan of the 11-minute, what was 11-minute drive to end the game to cut it to – you know, a touchdown to, to try to get it within a touchdown. But, um, you know, Kevin Harris ran for 100 yards. Carolina's ran the ball pretty well against this defense. But, you know, gosh, guys, it's hard to say they can go out and do the same because it's not the same offense, not the same offensive system. 
Uh, Shane Beamer's press conference today talked about uh, Florida in the game. He talked a little bit about the quarterback situation, left the door open for Zeb Nolan to start. I'd be pretty shocked if that happened, regardless of if he's ready to go or not. Uh, I think that, you know, it's time to give Jason Brown a, a chance. I understand the reasons why Brown hasn't been in the game earlier. You know, it's it's nothing, you know, I, I get it. Nothing. This is not a gigantic point of criticism <clears throat> towards the coaching staff uh, with Brown not getting in so far, but I think it's time. Um, and, and I'll say this, you know, it, it, it's a situation where, you can't block, you can't run the ball that well, you know, so you got to throw it and you don't need a sitting duck back there at quarterback. That's a recipe for disaster. I don't care what you dial up, what kind of play call you have. Um, now we can get into the situation, you know, about the offense and, and why, you know, it's struggling, but you know, I, I think you have to go with Brown. You know, Brown's not Savelle Newton or Lamar Jackson or Michael Vick or any of those guys, but he can move and can avoid pressure at times. Uh, I think that's very helpful when you're struggling because you know what Grantham's going to do is load it up and come after him, you know, and you you got Zeb Nolan back there. It's a sitting duck on passing downs. You know, the chances of South Carolina getting passes off or whatever are slim to none. I mean, you, you do that, I think you're, you know, you start Nolan unless you're just – all of a sudden miraculously able to run the ball, you know, like LSU was pretty successful running it and they hadn't been against the, the Gators. Um, they, they found a little counter play that, that worked pretty well for them. Then, um, you know, I, I, I just think you got to start Brown. And, and I think it would be helpful if you could run the ball, even if Brown starts. I mean, that's, that's something that, you know, you got to sort of notice. And, uh, you know, this defense at times at Florida can give up some rushing yards. It has in the past to Carolina, uh, you know, and maybe this is the get week, the ground game gets going. It's been putrid so far. It's been a mighty, mighty struggle since the uh, Eastern Illinois game where they had 258 yards. Uh, it's just one of those things where, you know, that's, that's the most disappointing part of the offense. And for the life of me, uh, I don't really understand why they're not trying harder to run the football. Um, in other words, just I'll give you an example. The Up at Tennessee, you know, you, you, you got in the nice eye formation thing with Trey Jones as a lead blocker. Marcus Satterfield, his press conference, talked about how he loved it. And we haven't – have we seen that since? No, I don't think so. Uh, we have not seen the uh, eye formation with Trey Jones at fullback. So, you know, I – Looking at it, it's a it's a game where you know the Gamecocks are going to be big underdogs, uh, and it's unfortunate because you know, like I said, this Florida team is reeling right now. Um, you know, they're talking about replacing Dan Mullen and all this other stuff down there, and you know, obviously, he doesn't do himself many favors uh, with the press conferences and stuff. I I think for them, it would be a big mistake to move on from Florida right now because I mean, you're talking about just average shelf life of a Florida coach three, four years. You know, Muschamp got four, Zook got three, McElwain got two and a half. Uh, Mullins coming in, come in and, you know, won games. I'll see, 2018 was his first year, 2019. This is his fourth year. Uh, and programs will erode over time. Now, I know, I know Tennessee's doing pretty well this year. Credit to Josh Heupel and them for kind of piecing it together. They got a big one with Kentucky. Um, 
and I get that, you know, so you kind of look at Tennessee at face value and say, well, the coaching changes haven't necessarily hurt them that bad. But, you know, we got to the point we did with Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee um, because of the consistent change, you know, the wanted to have a new coach every three years. That, that's just not a recipe for success. But, you know, in, in today's age, when you, you know, you look and Georgia's their big rival, Georgia and FSU, and obviously FSU's down. But, you know, and, and I think they kind of look at Georgia and that's their team they got to beat in the East, and they did last year and won the East. Uh, but you look at them and, it, you know, the Georgia's signing top three classes back to back to back to back. You look at Georgia's defense this year uh, and the personnel is amazing. Um, you know, a lot of veteran guys, they, they could bring guys in in waves. The secondary is good. You know, linebackers are excellent. I mean, they make plays. Uh, I haven't seen a defense like this in college football in at least 10 years, probably longer. You may have to go back to 1992 Alabama, uh, in my opinion, to see a defense that can just dictate the game. Uh, and, and that's, you know, Kirby Smart's right. That's recruiting. And, and not only just going and signing elite level guys, but, but signing a lot of them and making sure you got the right elite level guys. Now, I think if you're Florida, you got to step back and, 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 you know, say, look, you know, Mullen is the type of coach that's going to maximize what he's got. Uh, you know, everybody wants to see the Gators sign top five classes. I get it. But historically, that's not really been the secret sauce at Florida, unless you're talking about Urban Meyer in his run, which it was, you know, Spurrier didn't really do it. Muschamp did have top five classes there. We saw how that went. McElwain, not so much. Mullins won with some of the players McElwain recruited. Uh, you know, Dan Mullins, the type of guy that's going to go out there and evaluate and, and get players, you know, and, and their talent level is down this year, but you had to expect that, you know, everybody's grumbling down there about their cotton bowl experience. You know, yeah. I mean, guys opted out of that game. It was basically Kyle Trask and a bunch of reserves. So, yeah, Oklahoma was going to beat the tar out of them regardless. I thought that was like easy money. If you play the line, I think Oklahoma was a 13-point favorite. I thought it was easy money, you know, just because, you know, you, you look at the roster and, and it was gutted. But anyway, that's my take on Mullen and all that stuff down there. Obviously, this is a Gators team that, you know, could play better. Uh, when they've gotten it rolling, they've been good. I, I do think they got a lot of credit for playing Alabama close and coming back like they did in that game. Uh, but they still lost it, you know, and they lost at Kentucky and they lost at LSU and they lost to Georgia badly. So, you know, I, I don't know that this is some game the Gamecocks don't have a chance to win. Uh, I'm just saying that the matchups do not favor South Carolina uh, at this point. Now, you know, things happen. Like I said, you know, LSU could not run the football. LSU kind of runs the same offense the Gamecocks do. They found something uh, that worked, and it gave the Gators a lot of trouble, and they won 49-42. Um, you know, I, I think, too, when you look at kind of what Georgia did with Florida, the turnovers, the taking advantage of the mistakes, that kind of thing, South Carolina has an opportunistic defense. Uh, the worry is – Gators start running the ball. I mean, if they give the ball to Damian Pierce, which they should probably give it to pin the ball more, you know, it could end up being a potentially long day. That's what I'm kind of hoping that, um, you know, I've mentioned this before, maybe some of the younger linebackers like Mo Caba and Debo Williams who bring a little bit more speed 
and athleticism get to play. Now, the flip side of that is if they don't know their assignments, this offense with Florida can make you look extremely silly uh, when your linebackers don't know what to do. Uh, go check out the 2018 game. You know, Carolina was kind of down on defense, didn't have, you know, the horses, and Florida destroyed their lot, 367 rushing yards. So, you know, keep all that in mind. Uh, you know, I think that um, that's the challenge, you know, when you're talking about maybe a personnel switch at linebacker or whatever. Um, and and that's that's what's concerning about this game is can the Gamecocks stop them, you know, as far as, you know, we all know the offense is an issue. <laughs> uh, that's kind of a given. But if Carolina's going to stay in this game, they, they need to be able to have a res- what I call a resurgent performance on defense, force turnovers, you know, keep them in check. Don't let them run it up your butt, you know, that kind of thing uh, to have a chance Saturday night. Shane Beamer just completed his press conference today. I want to get back to his Sunday teleconference because uh, I've been saying this. Somebody asked him the question. And uh, obviously he disagrees. Uh, and, and look, I'm going to say this about his comments. I, I have enough respect for Shane Beamer uh, as a coach, as a person, uh, to where I'm not going to sit there and, and try to, like, tear him down uh, for something he says in a press conference. I'm just not uh, – that's just not me. I understand why he says what he says. Uh, and I understand that there's sometimes a bunch of different reasons why an offense doesn't work out. Uh, and, and he he made the comment that it wasn't too complex and <clears throat> sort of uh, compared it to Georgia, where uh, he was at, and they run a ran a quote unquote pro style offense. And you know, so here's what I got to say about this. Okay, number one, and and he said they've, you know, they're only running like 25 percent of their playbook, uh, and that's fine too. I mean, I get that. I get all of that. Um, number one on this subject, I am not a smart enough person or a smart enough uh, football mind, if you will. I mean, if I have a strength when it comes to football, it's personnel and evaluating players because I did it. Uh, and I did all right, you know, to, to be a person that's not a coach or, or whatever. I think I did all right. I'm proud of that, you know. But I'm not an axes and O's guy. I'm not a scheme guy. Uh, I don't know some of the terminology, right? Um. I do know players, though, and I do know players when they're confused. They they don't play up to their potential. It, it's just a fact. And that's the way it is in all sports, right? Um, so I, I'll say this about the offense being too complex. I would not go on the record about something like that. J.C. Sherbert would not go on the record with something like that <laughs> with it just being my opinion. Okay? I, I would never do that, and I don't. You know, I I, I, I sort of – have to get a little help, you know, to arrive at, at my opinions. Uh, I'm not some football expert God right here. I, I'm not even close. Uh, like I said, I was a recruiting guy. Uh, let's be real. I would never say anything like that if I hadn't had it confirmed to me through multiple, multiple sources. And I'm talking like more than five. Okay. Uh, and it's not just me saying, Hey, source a, uh, do you agree with this? And and they go, maybe, and I latch on to that. No, it's been conversations about it and, and, and truth coming toward me with that. What I believe to be the truth. Now, look, Shane may not think that the offense is that complex. That's fine. That's fine. And, and, and you know, I'm not going to sit here and rail on him about it. But I, I have to explain sort of where I'm coming from 
just because, you know, I, I, I've been saying this, you know, for a long time, folks. And, and I, I, I still believe it. Um, number two, uh, when you're talking about scaling back a playbook, I get that. Um, and I don't necessarily think they were trying to run too many plays. I think that it's the way it's being taught and the nuances and the little tiny things. Uh, and Marcus Satterfield said this, this is the little tiny things that are, you know, wrecking plays. Yeah, because it's too complex. And when you've got all these little things you have to do to, or the whole play gets blown up, that's, that's like uh, the screw in the airplane that brings the whole plane down. And you, you can't have that kind of fragility in a college offense, in my opinion. Nobody does. Nobody has that. I mean, and the teams that do end up failing miserably, okay? Uh, and, and so, so I, I don't necessarily think it's scaling back the playbook or the play designs. Um, I, I think there's definitely some questions about the play calling uh, as far as getting into a rhythm and, and, and having a feel and all that. You know, we can look at the play calling, you know, because there, there's been some issues there. Uh, but but I, I don't think it's anything that has anything to do with scaling back the playbook, you know. And, and I don't think South Carolina um, has a bunch of dumb players. I just don't. Uh, I, I think you look at it, you, you can look at the academic performance of the football team and see, you know, these guys make good grades and graduate and all that, especially on the offensive line. And, and you know, you say, you say book smart or football smart. Well, I keep getting back to last year where they made some adjustments before the Ole Miss game. Ole Miss obviously didn't have a good defense, but they did make adjustments and they were able to learn and execute it in one week. So why is this, why is this different with essentially the same guys? You know, essentially the same guys up front. You know, they're missing Sedarius Hutcherson, but, you know, I've said this before, the guy that replaced him uh, after Jalen Nichols got hurt, Rashawn Lee has played pretty well. Lee and Murphy and Wanamaker, the new guys have stepped in and played pretty well. So I, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know. Not not pretty well, but, you know, well enough. Better, I guess. So, you know, there's that. Then he also mentioned that University of Georgia, they ran a quote-unquote pro-style offense. And, and I – you know, I, I I know that. You know, Georgia's run a pro-style offense since, you know, they've been the University of Georgia. They recruited tailback better than any pl- program in the country. Not saying that some years Alabama may not have better backs or whatever, but, but Georgia historically, since I've been following college football, recruits at tailback better than anybody in the country. It's, it's tailback you guys. I mean, they, they, just give them credit. You know, I know nobody wants to hear me sit here and praise Georgia, but, you know, that's that's just the way it is. And then Kirby Smart, Mark Rick, um, anybody, uh, Jim Donnan, Ray Goff, Vince Dooley, whoever's coached there has had great backs. So that's number one. And that 2017 team, too, also had a good offensive line that Sam Pittman was coaching. Sam Pittman, best offensive line coach in the country. Um, and had a really good defense. And they got, uh, you know, they got rolling and uh, got Auburn in the championship game and beat them and then beat Oklahoma in a shootout and, you know, 54-48. And, you know, they moved the ball against Alabama and almost won that one. And uh, – but, but here's the difference, folks. You can run – the first difference is this, okay. Jim Chaney was running Georgia's offense at the time. Jim Chaney's a college coordinator. Yes, it's a pro-style system. No, it would not be ideal at South Carolina, but this guy's called plays at Georgia. He's called plays at Purdue. He's called plays at Tennessee a couple of times. I mean, 
people are like, you know, a lot of people aren't fans of what he does. However, you know, he's a college coordinator. He knows how to teach that system at the college level. Okay. And, uh, they don't, they may have had some dumpster fire moments on offense at Tennessee with Garantano and all those guys, but the actual play calls have always been good when Cheney's been running it. Uh, the play, des- play designs, installation, all that's been fine. So there's a difference between running a pro style offense and an actual nuanced NFL system, which is what I think is going on with South Carolina, which is what I've, you know, arrived at here. Uh, and then on top of that, the bottom line is even if it, and it's not like Jim Cheney's Georgia offense. I mean, it's, it's a lot different, even if that was the case, it's still not an ideal offense for you to run at South Carolina, because I think to be a good pro style offense at the college level, or I believe this, I don't think I know I've, I've seen it. You really have to have great personnel across the board. I'm talking like elite talent because it doesn't give you any sort of advantage. You know what I'm saying? There's no advantage with the play calling. There's no advantage with this, that, and the other, you know, the advantage is, you know, you're going to line up with your guys and beat the crap out of them because you've got guys, you know, Um, I think recruiting is going very well, uh, all things considered at South Carolina, but, the bottom line is you're never going to get your talent level to the point where, you know, that could be a viable option, you know, at South Carolina, unless you're planning on recruiting like Alabama, Georgia, and, you know, these teams, Ohio state, but even at that, you know, that's a, that's a, you're going to have to build up to that, you know, as far as being able to go recruit nationally and being in the mix for five stars and all that good stuff. I mean, I'm not saying they won't ever sign a five star or four star, but you got to build up to that in recruiting. That's just how it goes. Um, and so, you know, I, there's the difference between Georgia and 2017 and, you know, what they're trying to do here. Uh, and then, you know, look, l- l- let's be honest. I mean, you know, you can't go out if it is a situation where it's just too hard for the players to learn. South Carolina's players mentally are no different than any other group of players at most programs in the Southeastern Conference, you know, 13 of the 14. Obviously, there's better academics at Vanderbilt, and they get a certain type of student athlete, Stanford and all that, across the country. But, you know, you, you can't, even with a brilliant team, like I say, a bunch of rocket scientists running around uh, that know what to do, very coachable, all that, you, you're still, the bottom line is you're limited to like 17 hours a week to do stuff uh, by the NCAA and in the NFL, you got 12 hours. You've got no motivation that has to take place in the NFL. Those guys are playing for a paycheck. You're also dealing with some of the best athletes in the world. And you have to be nuanced and complicated and things like that up there because everybody you play is good and you can get beat if you're too easy to figure out. Ask Steve Spurrier about that. You know, ask Bobby Petrino about that. You know, if you're too easy, yeah, yeah. some of these college, you, you go up there. Now, look, hey, Cliff Kingsbury is doing pretty well at Arizona, but he's adapted. You know, he's adapted. And the NFL does, it is true to say that a lot of NFL offenses are kind of have a lot of college concepts now. But, again, there's a difference between concepts 
and how you structure and teach and install your offense. Uh, I, I believe that, you know, I, I think, you know, Beamer is right in saying there's nothing wrong with the pro style offense because, you know, they work at other places and you're right, but th- this is a little bit different type of situation, you know, in terms of, you know, what exactly is being taught and expected and, and all that good stuff. Then there's the play calling situation and all that good stuff. So, you know, look, I'm not, like I said, not trying to uh, go after Shane Beamer at all. Like I said, massive amount of respect for him. Uh, certainly I have not been one that's been sitting here calling for him to be fired right now, because I think that's just ridiculous and doesn't help anybody. Uh, I understand there's some people that are frustrated about the, the sunshine and rainbows approach, the positive approach with uh, the press conferences and stuff, but that's just, that's just him. And the worst thing that can happen with that is fans just tune him out. And that's that there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I mean, it's just uh, that happens when you're struggling and, you know, hey, guys, let's get me – eventually you get tuned out. What you don't want to have happen is the players tune him out. And that hasn't that hasn't been a case at all. Um, like I said, the, the reaction on the recruiting trail has been fine. Uh, and, you know, we've got some recruiting notes to get into. So that's – you know, I wanted to mention that just because I, I, I don't – you know, I'm not trying to sit here and challenge the head coach, you know, and, and, and sit here and say, that's wrong and la, 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 la. I'm just telling you, like, how I arrived at my point of view and why I tend to disagree with uh, with that statement or, or why I think maybe maybe he and I are talking about two different things. You know, maybe it's, you know, simplification to one person may mean something different than, than it does to another. Um, and honestly, the stuff I'm talking about fixing probably can't – I mean, you could probably – I don't know. Somebody calls somebody different calls the plays. I don't know who that would be. Nobody's done it before. Uh, it may be different, but uh, you know, I, I don't know how you fix the things I'm talking about. Like in the middle of a season, you know, I, the plays are kind of the plays at this point, right? You know, here's how you do it. Go do it. Uh, you know, what he's talking about maybe is is fixing it in season by running less plays uh, and all that stuff. So it's. Uh, it's just one of those things. So I, you know, I, I get it. I, I totally get it. And I wanted to tell you guys that because I just didn't, I felt pretty uncomfortable reading the, uh, the comments. And I was like, Oh, wait a minute. You know, some people are going to think I lost my mind here. And um, what I tell, what I tell you is that, that, you know, number one, I didn't arrive at that opinion on my own, nor would I, nor would I. Uh, number two, we may be talking about two different things. Number three, the Georgia example doesn't hold water when it comes to South Carolina because, you know, you, you, you're you're not always going to be able to – you can't go four deep at tailback uh, like you can at Georgia. Uh, and, look, you may say, well, they're four, four deep at tailback now. Yeah, 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 you see what's happened. <laughs> it's not – you know, they should be four deep at tailback. But um, – and, look, hey, man, I, I quite frankly, I think if uh, – let's say Shane Beamer had hired Jim Chaney Instead of Marcus Satterfield, I, I think everybody would be happy right now because I think the game pass would have scored more points. Um, I also think it's fair to talk about the quarterback situation and and that, you know, any offense that, that has a guy playing hurt like Doty or that has to, you know, activate a graduate assistant, you know, you think's probably going to struggle. But 
you know, then again, this team wasn't really built, you know, heading into the season to uh, to be a throw it around the yard team. You know, we talked all offseason about issues at receiver and have to rely on the tight ends and they have to be able to run the ball. And everybody on earth thought, well, the game coach should at least be able to run the football. You know, that that's the that's and that's the part of the offense that that sort of just baffles me is the run game. I'm like, well, you know, where is uh where is more in, in the run game and all that? I mean, you know, you're talking about running the outside zone and all that, and, and that's fine, and, and that works some of the times. But when they go outside, it's kind of better than right up the middle. But you know, the zone run game, you really need better personnel. I don't think you necessarily need overwhelming personnel, uh, but you got to have the players to make that work. That's such a common scheme today, college and the pros, and I've seen it just be a disaster at the pro level. Go watch Matt Nagy and the Bears, which is exactly like this offense sort of reminds me of, of how that offense for the Bears has performed since I've been watching them the last three years. Uh, you know, it's just hard to get a run game going. You know, LSU's had the same problems. Kentucky doesn't have a problem necessarily running it right now, uh, but they're not really based on the same things that LSU and Carolina. My point of all that is, you look, I mean, Kentucky, as good as they've been this year, six and two at Kentucky is unbelievable. And as much as Mark Stoops is a great coach, in my opinion, you know, they hired a guy from the ranch. They, hired, they did the same thing South Carolina, LSU, and Vanderbilt did, right? Uh, 216 yards at Mississippi State. Now, Mike Leach's defensive coordinator, Zach Arnett, is a stud. Don't get me wrong. And Mississippi State's always got great defensive players. But but don't you think that they were kind of expecting no, – no, a little more? Red's getting in the turtle pond again. <laughs> no, no, buddy, go over there. Um, he's going to – I'm worried he's going to step on my computer and turn it off. Uh, for those of you asking for Red to make an appearance, there he goes. But, you know, you look at the teams that did this, you know, Kentucky, South Carolina, LSU, Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt's play caller didn't even last till the first game. He got replaced in the preseason. LSU, Ed Orgeron got fired, and they haven't been great on offense. South Carolina's been a dumpster fire on offense. Uh, and then Kentucky's winning, but they're sort of winning the same way they've always run, with getting behind their offensive line and running with those two backs. There hasn't really been a big – strategic shift up there uh, that's been effective. Um, they're still kind of good on defense, run the ball on offense. I mean, same thing. They're, they're kind of the same thing, and they're statistically toward the bottom of the league. So, you know, then you look at Arkansas and Ole Miss and Tennessee, you know, all those guys that run college offenses from the brow, you know, some, some somewhat from the Browse tree, and they're making it work. They're making it work. And um, I'm not sitting here saying they need somebody from the Bryles tree to fix this. I, I just – I think it's got to be fixed. So, I just wanted to run that by everybody because, like I said, I I am uh, – I'm totally, you know, have great respect for Shane Beamer and all that. I, I just wanted you guys to know where I was coming from uh, and sort of the specifics in terms of, like, what I was trying to say. Uh, just because I, you know – the head coach comes out and says, well, it's not complex. You know, you're kind of like, well, I feel like an idiot now, but I don't think I am. Like I said, because I did not make that observation in a vacuum at all. 
Um, and uh, I think he and I may be talking about two different things in terms of um, what uh, what exactly uh, the issues have been as far as the Carolina offense. So that's uh, that's that there. Uh, wanted to uh, also tell you that um, the inbox, the mailbag, the iHelp Consulting mailbag is upon us. We have a lot to get to. And I'll tell you about Daniel Owens from iHelp Consulting, who is now a sponsor on JB and Goldwater, too. I want to thank iHelp Consulting for believing in us, believing in JB and Goldwater. That's awesome. Uh, and I've told you how Daniel Owens can help your business save money on credit card processing, insurance, telecom, all that without sacrificing quality. But, you know, you may be wondering how it works. Well, it's simple. You call or text Daniel, 843-372-5713, set up a quick phone call or face-to-face meeting. Daniel will examine where there may be savings and let you know if you're paying junk fees, if your rates are too high. And then you may be wondering, well, okay, JC, you can save me money, but uh, how can I help make money unless they're charging me some kind of crazy fee. Well, they're not going to save you 3000 and charge you 4000 That's not how they do business. You only pay a percentage of your first year savings. That's it. Not only that, if they absolutely cannot save you any money, if you're doing well, uh, saving the money, you don't owe them a dime. Uh, so tell Daniel you heard about it right here on the podcast. There's a promotion. First three businesses are free, uh, depending on where that's at. Um, but uh, free. If you give him a shot, he's putting his money where his mouth is. 843-372-5713. Daniel Owens, iHelpConsulting.com. iHelpConsulting, how can I help you? Proud sponsors of the ever-popular mailbag here on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. All right, there are two ways to get into the mailbag. First is Twitter, at the Bigs Per Pod. Please go follow that. Uh, certainly would um, do that. I got an update on Harrison Bailey, the former Vols quarterback, because uh, this was one of the questions that came in on a previous ep- previous episode. Uh, I don't think South Carolina is going on that one. You know, now Miles Brennan, who just left LSU, could be a guy they look at. Um, I think there's going to be some other options in the portal they'll look at uh, eventually. Uh, I do think they're going to go after a quarterback. In the, in the portal. I think it's, it, they need to. So, uh, you know, so, so there's that update there for you uh, just before we get started here in the IHELP Consulting mailbag. Um, Pray and Play says, JC, one more thought. Any word on Emory Floyd? Still in the boat on the verge of jumping ship. Well, Florida's the school that's been trying to flip him. I don't know with all the issues down there that they're in a great position to uh, let's say, I'll say this Florida, Auburn, Georgia at the beginning with him were sort of his uh, top schools. Right. And then the Gamecocks kind of slid in there. The others were not like sold on taking him. I don't know about Florida and Auburn necessarily. I know Georgia was not in a position to take him. Um, And then Florida's lost some commits. Maybe they're circling back. I don't know. I can't rule it out. Um, I think Floyd is an upside guy with a lot of speed. Uh, I can't, I, it, it really would be kind of amazing, uh, to see what Torian Gray could do with him in the secondary. Cause I think Torian develops well. I mean, look, man, I'll, I'll be honest, this secondary they have this year at Carolina is young. 
Uh, they've got talent kind of in the younger, but, but they're, they're kind of green and not the greatest, you know, not the greatest talent wise right now across the board. I think there is talent there. Uh, but my point with all that is I think they're maximizing their talent. I mean, you look at a player like Darius Russ that never really projected to play. He's playing a lot of snaps, playing pretty well. Uh, Jalen Foster obviously is one of the stories of the year. Leads the country in interceptions at safety. I mean, Jalen's actually played the best individually at safety. I, I think you'd have to really go back to like the Spurrier era before things fell apart. Because um, I don't know that Muschamp ever had great safety play. Uh, again, they put a lot on their safeties or whatever. So Foster, really good job. Um, these guys are talent maximizers. So you get a guy like Floyd who runs 4 4 and can play a lot of different positions. I think that's what you want. So you want to hold on to him. Uh, but yeah, I can't rule it out just because he's taking other visits. And before yesterday, uh, or before yesterday, before the weekend, when things kind of went askew in Gatorland, <laughs> you know, I, I'd have said, yeah, he probably could flip it. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know about that now. We'll just have to monitor the situation and, and see what happens. Golf Cox tweets in. After hearing Beamer claim the offense is not too complicated and that it is a cop-out, what's your assessment of the offense? I would say to Beamer then it's sorry play calling and players not knowing their plays or their position. It's a coaching issue. Yeah, I think it is a coaching issue. I mean, and I, I explained that at the top of the show. I don't want to jump on into it further. Uh, I, I'm not saying – I don't know that it's a cop-out. I think there's some truth to it. I think there's some truth to it. And, you know, it's, it's not a cop-out. So I take except. I mean, I, I just don't agree with that. I, I think that sometimes it just is what it is. And now I'll say this too: in, in no way am I sitting here claiming the Gamecocks should have been a juggernaut on offense and gone up and down the field against everybody this season. Um, I didn't expect that either. I, I expected a competent run game, and you know. Gamecocks being able to run it to maybe set up the pass and and and, and take advantage of what they got in the passing game because they're not overly great there. But it, it's it, for the life of me, I didn't expect this team not to be able to run the ball at all, regardless of opponent. There were going to be some opponents like Georgia, probably Texas A and M. It was going to be hard to run it against them, regardless. You know, especially if your passing game isn't all that great. But man, oh man, you know Vanderbilt, uh, East Carolina, Troy. Um, these teams that, uh, you know, even Tennessee isn't – they're actually able to run it a little bit against Tennessee, and then whatever happened, happened. But, you know, that that's kind of my my position, is that, you know, that that's what this team should be good at, they are not. And, um, again, I didn't expect uh, the offense to go up and down the field. I thought, you know, the defense – especially after watching them play early, could be a little bit more resurgent. Special teams would be solid. Gamecocks would be able to run the ball, shorten games, uh, and, and and play in the fourth quarter, you know, with, with most teams. Now, I wasn't expecting a fourth quarter game against ECU or Troy or Vandy. Um, and, and that's what gets you there. It's not – it's not necessarily that, you know, hey, Texas A&M boat raced the Gamecocks because that's happened in the last three years. Uh, it's not necessarily that Georgia beat them 40-13. to 13. 
Uh, in a game, Carolina actually didn't play that bad on offense when you consider what other offenses have looked like against that defense. Um, but it's not that. It's not – it's when you get into a, a game, even East Carolina, you could chalk that up to first road game of the year. ECU had a good game plan, whatever. It, it's been, you know, Tennessee, Troy, Vandy. I mean, those – the Vandy game should not have been a struggle. I mean, uh, and I know that Vandy kind of – Played Missouri really tough this past weekend. It was 37-28. Missouri, Missouri can't stop anybody. Uh, again, they've got an NFL, former NFL head coach as their D coordinator. So what, what does that kind of tell you about some of these NFL schemes? Um, you know, but uh, that Vandy game was just scary as crap. Now, a win's a win, and I agree with that assessment. But when you look at the whole season – you know, this offense has been a failure and, you know, based on what I've seen and what, more importantly, what I've been told and know, you know, that, that's just kind of what it is. It's too complicated. In my opinion, golf stock golf cost continues. JC, is there any story with Jalen Sneed and USC? So for those that don't know, Jalen Sneed's a four-star linebacker from Hilton Head, committed to Notre Dame. He and his mom did visit South Carolina. I, I think the game costs are going to try here. Um, just knowing what I know about players that go to that high school and play for that coach, I'd be surprised uh, if at the end he bucks everybody and goes to Carolina. That being said, they're trying. And uh, that's the type of guy, you know, Jalen Sneed, Antonio Williams, who's still uncommitted in state, those guys can really help you, you know, and, and it, it, you know, you, you got to kind of be realistic about it when you're recruiting Hilton head and say, well, chances are you're not getting the guy. He's going to get, you know, uh, he's probably going to go to someplace in the Midwest or the West and, you know, far away from home. You know, it seems like, you know, that's kind of the way things go. But, you know, I do think it's positive he's visited. Um, you know, Notre Dame's playing really well. Notre Dame's Notre Dame. You know, it's hard to hard to recruit against Notre Dame when they're doing well. And if you, if you, if you kind of buy into what they're all about, it makes it even harder. But uh, – I'll say this, I, you know, I, 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 I think that it's a get him or not. It's a net positive. Carolina's done what they've done. Um, and you never know the further away a kid is from home, the better the chances are he will transfer if things don't go well. Cause you know, you're not close to home. And so, like I've said with a lot of these guys, you know, it's good, you know, because of the portal, to maintain a great relationship, even if they don't initially sign with you, because you could get them back. Now, that would be kind of bad of me to, to say that'll happen because I don't want the young man to go to South Bend, Indiana and fail. I mean, or, or, or to be uncomfortable or whatever. I'd never wish that on anybody. But reality is there's people that get in the portal every day uh, and there will be, and you wait, this off season is going to be really interesting. And um, we will address any portal defections for Carolina. Uh, and we'll also uh, address uh, any additions and targets. Uh, and that'll be a, a good bit of <laughs> recruiting coming up. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it, it, it's never a bad thing to, to even be second uh, on a prospect. Now, yeah, could they flip Snead? There's some, there's some talk out there, you know, uh, and, and they're working it. But, um, you know, and he visited. So that's all 
that's all there is to it right now. You know, I think a lot of people maybe have taken that info and run with it and thought, hey, if Flip is forthcoming, I, I don't have that information right now. I just know that uh, they've, uh, you know, they visited. The tents seemed like they liked it. I know Clayton White and some of those guys have never given up on uh, on him, you know, and, and even in spite of the fact the game guys didn't make his top five. You know, it would surprise me. You know, that's kind of the same crap I always see from down there. But uh, so thanks, Jim. Uh, Golf Cox for your tweet. And then Grover rolls back in. Grover, JC, my high school coach, used to say the best offenses have six to eight running plays out of three different formations. Same with passing. Your thoughts on that and cross training offensive linemen and other offensive positions. What happened to just block the guy in front of you? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, these days you, you've got like cross training does not bother me because the idea is to get your best five on the field. Uh, you know, like, like Shane Beamer said, the offense being too complicated is a cop out. I think this notion of cross training and being adverse to that is a cop out simply because, you know, you hear about cross training, you hear about guys working at different positions and then they struggle. And so it's like, ah, it's easy to blame that. I don't think that's an issue. Every school in the country does it. Um, and, you know, it doesn't affect them. Uh, as far as your your point that your high school coach made, yeah, it's, you know, you, you guys would be surprised that, you know, some of the offenses out there that work and exactly what they do, you know, they don't reinvent the wheel. They sit there and, uh, you know, kind of have all these different formations and, and end up, um, you know, you, you don't know, you don't really know what's coming because of that. Um, so I agree with your high school coach, you know, the, the simpler, the better. Now you can get too simple. And I agree with Shane Beamer on this. I mean, you know, you, you've got, you know, some offenses out there that have been run at the major college level that, that, conceptually are like you said very simple not very many plays just different formations they do it really fast that have failed you know at places um so i think you can get too simple but you know i I, yeah look man it's it's one of those things where just give me a college offense one that has worked in college that's proven and a guy calling the plays that has done it in college with success And, and then we can just talk about hey they need to recruit better or, hey, they need better players. Or, hey, this is this, this is that. You know, like Mike Bobo last year, he caught a lot of crap for a lot of reasons. And I'm not talking about him leaving for Auburn because that's that's something that obviously as Gamecock fans, you, you guys aren't going to like. But, you know, one thing he did was, you know, he schemed his butt off to get what little bit of a playmaker, little playmakers he had, uh, the ball. And those were basically Shy Smith, Nick Muse, and Kevin Harris. And sometimes Deshaun Fenwick, who, by the way, is doing pretty well at Oregon State. Um, you know, that was it. You had Colin Hill back there, you know, all this other stuff. Um, you know, so that's uh, that's what you got to think about there. Uh, you know, is, is that's a Mike Bobo – Say what you want. Very experienced play caller at the college level. His offense has worked at college. I think statistically probably Carolina was his worst year. Uh, maybe not. But, um, yeah, you know, that, that that's kind of what – and but Mike's, Bobo's offense, Mike Bobo's offense is a pro-style system. 
You know, it, it's very, you know, there's different formations, personnel groupings, all that, but it is a pro quote unquote style of offense. He's ran it at Georgia for years, right? Now he evolved, uh, you know, it, in the mid 2000s, the 2010s, it was a lot more than just I formation. Go dogs, let's run it up the, you know, run it up your gut. Now, he still did it. He's great in the run game, but, uh, you know, Bobo's offense was pro style. I mean, and look, you know, that that's 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 what I'm saying. It's still a college offense. It's still a college offense. And and so if you're asking me what to do, just get a guy in there that can call plays at the college level. Um again, I don't think that I don't think that uh Alexa went off again. Uh, more message board fodder for me. Uh Again, I don't, you know, I, I don't think a pro-style system is ideal at South Carolina, but there are a lot of different things that can be called pro-style systems. I mean, you know, Steve Spurs offense, pro-style offense, then he blended it with App State's running game, uh, really Illinois' running game to begin with when Eric Wolford got there the first time. Uh, and that helped because his run game was kind of easy to figure out at times. They had blocking issues. Uh, and then they get Marcus Lattimore, Connor Shaw, and all those guys, and away you go, um, you know, with a dual-threat quarterback and all that. So, you know, but Spurrier, philosophically, you know, he had a lot of high formation, you know, some one-back – I mean, yeah, it was, it was different. It was different. Now, he started using the gun more uh, around 1996 when he won the national championship because Florida State was just – in that first game was just teeing off and his, his quarterback was a sitting duck. So he went to the gun. Then they won 52 to 20 and won the first Gators national championship. So Spurrier uh, evolved, but you know, so, so, and I'll get back to Beamer's comments. He's, he's sort of right when, when you, or he is right. When you hear pro style offense, you kind of go, uh, but there's a lot of quote unquote pro style offenses and they're not necessarily NFL offenses. They have some concepts. And, and some form, some things that you recognize on Sunday, but it's still a college offense that you you sit there and 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 can teach and players can learn it, and you know it's easy to learn, and then you rep it, and then they're out there and they're comfortable, and that that means you can go make plays, and that means your offensive line isn't playing tentative. I mean, your backs aren't running tentative. You're 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 getting there. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so that's that's the case there. Thanks, Grover. Really, really appreciate your uh, your um, question there off Twitter. All right, so the next way to get into the iHealth Consulting mailbag is to send me an email. And um, that's inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. We have several, several here. Um, Mitchell says, I was listening to the previous ex- episode about the game day experience, and this is my feedback. Yeah, you guys remember last time, and I'll get into this real quick. Last 10 minutes of the pod, I, I expressed major concern. I still have those concerns at this point. Um, I I just do. I You know, and, and that, that's for a lot of reasons. It's not just the offense. You know, it, it's 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 sort of the, the mood of the fan base. It's sort of, uh, you know, the – the lack of attendance, which is surprising. And and I've said, you know, this year, there's a lot of reasons for that um, beyond just football, but uh, I'm concerned about NIL, you know, when it, as it relates to South Carolina, because I just, you know, I, I, I would hope that the, the, the folks around the program get it, 
Um, and that, you know, South Carolina is in a competitive situation when it comes to NIL, uh, name, image, likeness, but I don't, I haven't seen that so far. And I'm, I'm worried that some people, you know, are just sitting back waiting on the administration to do something. And that's not really their call. They can't get involved with that. And so, so I'm, I'm concerned about that. You know, you get concerned about relevance at some point after you've sort of had mediocre years. Um, there's a lot of concerns, you know, and, and it's really the first time in my life I've kind of arrived at this because, you know, as we say, uh, what's the what's the South Carolina State motto? While I breathe, I hope. You always have hope. And, and look, I still have hope. And, and you guys should too. Uh, but that hope is based on a lot of things happening and turning for the better. And maybe it's, you know, maybe it's, uh, you know, Maybe it won't right away, and then this this thing continues to spiral. Yeah, I don't know. I just uh, I, I think after a while, you know, regardless of who the coach is, the losing and getting not just losing, getting blown out. I mean, guys, even all right, early Muschamp, you know, there were some blowouts. That Clemson game was a blowout. Remember, fifty six to seven. We all do. Um, There's some blowouts, but. There were a lot of competitive games, too, that just didn't go Carolina's way. Uh, you know, so uh, now, you know, you're looking on – and last year was a different year because of COVID and no defense and all that. But you're starting to look at the scores and the, and the just getting mauled. And it's starting to kind of add up and wear on you, you know, because you're just, you're just not competitive. You know, and, and I think, you know – with a better plan on offense this year, that this team probably should be competitive a little bit more. Now, look, loss at A&M like, like what happened, loss at Georgia like what happened, hey, that, I think everybody everybody can live with that. Uh, it's everything else. So Mitchell says, um, I hate to be a Debbie Downer, but I honestly can't think of anything when it comes to improving the game day experience at williams Bryce Stadium other than the parking situation given the fact you have the main SCETV PBS station across the street and state fairgrounds on nearby George Rogers Boulevard. Maybe you add a bus train system from the main city to the stadium, but I really don't know. I, you know, and maybe you guys can help me because I, you know, I, I used to go to every game and uh, I don't anymore. And I'll admit it. That doesn't keep me from doing my job, but uh, it, uh, it's something to where I noticed it when I went to the 2017 Clemson game compared to like, cause in 2015, I went to a lot of games and never really had problems getting down. I sat and we sat, we parked kind of over near the Budweiser distributor. Um, we sat there for like 45 minutes getting out. And in all my years of going to games at Carolina, that hadn't happened to, especially a game like that where it was over. And, uh, Everybody kind of left, and they were hot-tailing it out of there. Uh, and I started th- – I mean, and I, don't, I don't know. Maybe maybe some of you could help me. Did they change the traffic operations sort of between 2010-ish, 11-ish, 12-ish, and 17? Because I used to think, you know, because I-77 is right there, then you can always cut up assembly through downtown and hit 26 or, or, or whatever you got to do to get there. You can cut up Rosewood and go the back way, whatever you want to do. I always thought Carolina was in – was pretty good in terms of traffic. I mean, look, guys, you, you don't see bad traffic. I've been to plenty of ball games in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, where you just 
you're leaving the stadium, man, you're going to sit there two hours to get back on, uh, what is it, 59, 20, whatever that interstate is. And it's every single time I've been there. George, the same way. It's these small towns, uh, traffic-wise, are a pain in the rectum, you know. And uh, Carolina, to me, always had a pretty good situation. Clemson, you will stay in traffic all day, all night up there. It happens. Uh, and then, you know, I went there and sat, and now I just hear classic, you know, constant complaining about it. So, so somebody help me here because I don't know. Did they change the traffic operations at some point that's made it worse? I don't know the answer to that question. So maybe that's it. Maybe it's just more people parked in a certain area with the opening of, you know, because they opened Gamecock Park or whatever, and that's, that's actually a new thing. Uh, and there weren't a lot of people parking in that area when it was the farmer's market. I people parked at the farmer's market, but it wasn't, I guess it wasn't as vast or whatever. So maybe, maybe that's it. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, bus, you know, whatever. I don't know. You know, they have, shell, they have shuttles that go from campus. I'd, I'd like to see that. I mean, they probably already have a, a like a shuttlecock that goes to the stadium and back for students, but um, I don't know. Um, Mitchell goes on in regards to the current situation. It goes back to a Josh Pate analogy. My boy, Josh Pate, great analogies. I was listening to one time. South Carolina, whether it's on the field, traditions, coaching style, or anything else, can't copy Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, and others. Man, I don't know about Tennessee, but, you know, yeah, the, the major programs, you can't. I hate giving a bland answer on this, but I think if South Carolina wants to improve the game day experience, they just have to be themselves. Yeah, and, and I think they have. I mean – uh, I think there's some sort of, and this is a very minor thing. There's some sort of disconnect between whoever's operating the board and what they do when, and, and the, the show could be better, so to speak. The sound system certainly needs to be improved, but that's a very minor thing. And if Carolina was winning, nobody would complain. Reality of the situation is every SEC team, with the exception of Vandy and Missouri, is going to have a rowdy crowd. And I don't believe that one tops the other. You can make an argument one stadium is better than the other. Uh, to go off your statement, I really don't know of anything, maybe parking, updating concessions, and simple items. I just think that South Carolina has to find the identity that other programs don't have instead of copying the light out from Alabama and Georgia. Your thoughts? Man, the light thing, the LED light thing, I think is cool. And I think that's going to be pretty standard around the country. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't mind them doing that. You know, 2001 Sandstorm were obviously Carolina things that, that only happen at Carolina. Um, you know, I, 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 I think winning, obviously, when, when South Carolina is winning, it's, it's one of the best home fields uh, in college football. Um, uh, and, and a lot of people back me up on that. I, I think the losing combined with society – uh, you know, everybody went through the COVID and I'm not, I'm not blaming COVID exclusively, but you know, there are still people that kind of are trying to, you know, whether it's their own personal health or just generally, they're kind of trying to, uh, you know, stay away from crowds for now. Cause it's still out there. Uh, and I think that's part of it. I think the performance is part of it. I think TVs now are part of it. And, and the TV thing, they're, they're trying to solve that with these new club levels and renovations and stuff. Uh, I think the issue this year may be, hey, you know, there's a worker shortage, and so you don't have enough people to work at Williams-Brice, and, and it's just a cluster. It's a catastrophe. You know, you're going to wait 30 minutes to get a beer, and uh, and that's tough, and that's really not what they planned, 
But, you know, hey, it's, it's more of a society thing than anything. But Mitchell, in general, I agree with you. South Carolina doesn't have any business copying either one of those programs. Now, honestly, neither does Tennessee. You know, Tennessee, they've hired two Saban assistants that have failed quickly. Each lasted three years, I think, Pruitt and Dooley. And um, they were on to something, I think, when they had Kiffin way back when. That Tennessee team went seven and six. Got blown out by Virginia Tech in the Peach Bowl, but you know they were recruiting. He had a good staff. I mean, it was, you know, then he leaves and, and all that. Now, you know, Tennessee, what they are now is unique on offense. You know, they're unique, and uh, that's why they're uh, competitive right now. They're doing they're doing something different than they've done with Josh Heupel. Josh Heupel's doing different stuff than he's done too. Uh, got that at U, U, UCF, so. You know, hey, maybe that'll work for them. And Carolina, you know, think about the times when when Carolina's been good. They've always been unique when they've been good. Going back to Joe Morrison running the run and shoot on offense and Joe Lee Dunn's – the late Joe Lee Dunn's defense, you know, in 87, uh, 84, they were a split-back veer team. 2000, 2001, they ran Skip Holtz's spread offense, Charlie Strong's 3-3-5. Steve Spurrier, obviously, is unique with how he runs offense, and he was at Carolina. He did it differently, but he was at Carolina. Ellis Johnson's defense is uh, a proven defense. It's very simple to learn, easy to play free in, all that kind of stuff. So – yeah, you know, Carolina, when they've been good, they have been unique. And uh, that's the way it is anywhere. That's why Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Sam, uh, Sam Pittman, those teams have kind of figured it out. You know, hey, we're, we're Ole Miss. You know, we have to be different. You know, we're Mississippi State. Let's go hire Mike Leach and see what happens, you know. Now, I'm not saying Carolina needs to go hire Leach or or whatever, um, or should have hired Leach or whatever. I, and I think Shane Beamer, when you look at the when when you look at the uniqueness, and, and this is talking about like style of play and, and schemes. Yeah, you know, I, I think Clayton White's defensive scheme makes a lot of sense. It's fun, easy. It's it's not that difficult to learn. The players play free. Now that that doesn't guarantee results, and that group's struggled at times this year, but. You can watch the players, and they're all playing and having fun, and it's it's a fun scheme. Um, offense, I I, I think this. I, I think the intent is right, if that makes sense. Don't want to be predictable. Don't want to do this. Don't want to do that. I think that the plan to or the 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 application of the plan. Uh, is a little is off is what's off with that because I think that conceptually when you sit here and talk about it on paper or whatever, you know th- this could be an offense that you know is very diff- different and a special prep and all that even though it's quote unquote pro style, but I I just think that how they're trying to get there is it's way off and that's why you know I probably need to think about running a college offense, you know, <laughs> uh, in my opinion. Uh, thanks for the email, Mitchell, as always. Tim says, JC, your last 10 minutes of the last podcast, you hit the nail on the head. Man, I hate that because I, I was like depressed, I think. 
I've been feeling the same way for the past couple of weeks about the program. I kind of got that early Sparky Woods era feel. We're coming off a steroid scandal. Uh, King Dixon is AB, no confidence, and basically floating in the abyss. I had season tickets in 89, and it wasn't anything like this, in my opinion. I don't think a lot of people had a tremendous amount of faith in Sparky. But, you know, think about this. In 89, he went down to beat Georgia and Athens. Uh, they were 5-1-1 one, and one before Todd Ellis took a shot against NC State. If I were Todd Ellis, I would hate NC State. <laughs> Just because he got hurt against them. You had the year before where the, the last second BS call uh, in Raleigh, and then he had a moment of greatness with that team that the next year beat him 48 nothing. But yeah, I remember when Todd got hurt. I mean, that was it was awful. The next year they went six and five with Bobby Fuller at quarterback the year two years before the SEC and lost to Citadel at home, cost them a bowl. They turned down two bowls. The year before the SEC, it was a 3-6-2 and two mark with Fuller quarterback again. It was bad. I think he tied Louisiana Tech. Uh, did beat defending national champion Georgia Tech at home. Uh, and then they got into the league in, in 1992. And, and um, with Sparky's hire and, and really with, uh, gosh, the basketball search that took place around that too, going to the SEC, there were a lot of just boneheaded decisions made. Um, you know, South Carolina as a school wasn't willing to spend the money. Uh, back then, bowl games meant a lot. They turned down two. Uh, nevertheless, Sparky did, you know, if Sparky wasn't allowed to hire a great staff. I mean, that's why people turned down the job. I mean, it was a, it was a mess. And, uh, you know, finally, I mean, you know, he, he kept persevering and recruiting well. Um, and then Brad Scott came in and, you know, was, was hailed as the savior of the program because, you know, he took Sparky's players and went seven and five and, and won a bowl game for the first time, which is great. You can't take that accomplishment away from Brad, but there were a lot of good players on that team, you know, and uh, they lost some games that year they shouldn't have, quite frankly. East Carolina comes to mind. Um but yeah, I, I remember that era, and it was it was kind of one of those things, and, and it lasted too, guys. It lasted through nineteen ninety nine, really. Uh, Lou Holtz's first year, and then it turned, and it turned. What to do to get people excited again? Hard to say. Definitely firing the OC is a start. Um, I know everyone says Art Browse is untouchable because of the scandal, but I'd go after him and install his offense. It will create a fuss at first, but people will get over it. It'll give him time to rehab his image. He will not be here long, but have Stephen Kimry learn his system and ready to step in as OC when he leaves. I think it's a great idea, but, you know, <laughs> number one, I, I think that if you're Shane Beamer, you go hire Art Browse as your OC, that's – you'd have to talk – you'd have to really, I guess – be comfortable with that. Now, Shane's a guy that's, I don't think he cares. You know, he's not an ego guy. And, um, you know, I, I certainly think it could happen, but, you know, you, you, you'd really have to, I don't know, be everybody have to be comfortable with that. I think it's a great old paper. It's a great idea. Um, as fan, as, as for fans attending games, it's so hard because the children 
playing travel sports on weekends. That's a lot bigger issue than people think. Growing up as a child in the 80s, we rarely, rarely played games on weekends because we played for your local rec department and had weekday games. Uh, that's a good point. I mean, there are a lot – like you play travel baseball these days. I have a friend that his kids play travel baseball. It's, it's crazy. Uh, and people – you know, that's one thing people will do. They do anything for their kids. You know, a lot of good fathers and moms out there that they'll sacrifice that game caught game for it. Um, you know, I it, it's one of those things where, like, when I grew up, you know, in, in South Carolina – they really tried hard not to have events on Saturdays during the fall because everybody was going to the Clemson or Carolina game. Now it seems like people don't even care. Uh, you know, so that's, uh, th- that's a good point, Tim. I mean, you know, uh, this email came in from Tim. I don't know if I mentioned that. Uh, and I haven't, I haven't really discussed that, but, you know, talking to some of my friends that have kids that play travel, baseball, soccer, things like that, they, they do have games on weekends and it's hard to get to games. Whereas, in the past, it wasn't. And, and, you know, like I said, people do anything for their kids, and I'm, I can certainly appreciate and respect that, and they should. The nice TVs at home are another issue. I know. It's uh, so much better. Uh, I mean, and, and look, I, I, I've, I've been to a game this year. I'm going to more uh, just because, I you know, I, I miss it. But it's so much better when you're sitting there and you can just grab a beer out of the fridge. You can have a steak on the grill can watch the game you know you can go to the bathroom whenever you want you don't have to miss the action i mean there is a lot to be said and and, and if you go watch any old broadcast on youtube or something it, the, the quality was a lot different and you've got great tvs now another problem tim goes on is the cost it's so dang expensive seat tax on top of escalating ticket prices makes it almost impossible to make money on a ticket sale if you're not going to the game uh, that's a good point. In the east upper stands, I'd take the seat taxes away and cut the prices to get more ticket sales. Who the hell wants to pay that kind of money to be blinded by the sun? That's true. The schools make much more money now. What's it going to hurt? I agree with you there. I think there needs to be – because you, you lose out when you when you have – even if you've sold the tickets, you lose out on concessions. You lose out on this. You lose out on that when people don't show up. And your program suffers. Your program suffers. Because it impacts recruiting. That impacts recruiting a lot. You know, South Carolina, when Spurrier was there, Holtz was there, you know, that that's one thing recruits always said was a big-time atmosphere. Great. You know, players care about – recruits care about that a whole lot more than winning or losing an individual game they come to. You know, they're evaluating the atmosphere because most of them think, hey, when I get here, we're going to win, you know. And, and, and yeah, I, and look, Gamecock football has always kind of been uh, – and Clemson, too. I mean, Clemson, too. We're, we're all from South Carolina, but but it's always kind of been a blue-collar, family-oriented thing. And I say blue-collar, you know, blue-collar, white-collar, whatever, but, you know, lots of people from around the state, our state, you know, going to Clemson and Carolina games, that's kind of a way of life. It's about family. Um, and some people, you know, Hey, look, I remember East upper used to have a lot of season ticket holders up there, you know, and it wasn't that expensive. Now it is, (laughs) it's a lot more. And you see some of those seats are empty. I sat in East upper at the Kentucky game. and I'm not ashamed to say it. I did it intentionally. You know, usually I can get hooked up with any kind of club seats you ask me for or, or whatever, 
uh, or asked for or whatever. And, you know, but I, I bought East upper tickets and that, cause I was like, Oh, I'll sit up here with, you know, where I used to sit back before I was in college or in college and or out of college, just out of college and had no money. Um, I've had many great times in East upper. Um, but it's missing. It's missing something because it is expensive. And, and I think that admit it, you know, you, you got to sort of admit where you are sometimes. This isn't Alabama or Georgia. This isn't, you know, th- this fan base is a large fan base, but it's not as big as uh, some of those other schools uh, to where you can just charge whatever. And everybody lives with it. And, and and it's not that some of these other schools don't have attendance issues either. I mean, they're, they're, Florida State, man, whoa. Watch their game with uh, UMass a little bit a couple Saturdays ago, and uh, boy, I've never seen a crowd like that at Williams Bryce. I'll tell you that right now. It was like a co- it was like a worse than a COVID crowd, uh, and that was a Florida State team on a winning streak for the first time in years. By the way, worst thing ever is if you had Florida State plus nine against Clemson on Saturday. Uh, because Clemson scored that touchdown at the end. I was like, my goodness, you know, that was, uh, you know, that, it, Clemson won the game. Florida State, you know, gave them a good battle. If you had FSU plus nine, you're, you're thrilled. And then, boom, <laughs> touchdown Clemson at the end. They covered the spread. And, uh, boom. I, I haven't seen many, like, many games like that. But that was uh, – had to be bad if any of you had Florida State plus nine. Um, Tim goes on, what concerns me is we're seeing empty seats in West Upper. You have rarely seen that in the past. I agree. In the end, winning is what solves the problem, but our leaders at the university have to get on the same page, and we as a fan base have to get behind Beamer and tough it out through these last few weeks. With that said, if he doesn't make changes with the OC and O-line coach at the end of the season, next year is going to be more of the same, and we'll fall further behind, probably end up like Chad Morris at Arkansas. As for me and my family, no matter what, win or lose, we love our Gamecocks. Appreciate you in the show, JC, Tim. Um, I, I'm with you. Changes need to be made. I, I, don't, I don't even know if the, the O-line coach needs to go. Um, but I've been pretty clear on that. I'm going to keep hammering that home. And you're right. You know, there's as a fan, there's nothing you can do besides rally right now. And, uh, you know, there's four games left. And, you know, look, every year you want to beat Florida. It's great if you can beat the Gators. Every year you want to beat Missouri and get that trophy back. And I know a lot of Gamecocks fans certainly would like to beat Eli Drinkwitz for a change, you know, because he talks smack after he wins. Uh, Auburn, obviously there's reasons to want to win that game. And then, of course, the one at the end of the year is is one everybody wants to win. So there are reasons to rally three home games in the next four at, at South Carolina. Um. All right, so Adam says, fixing attendance and avoiding the abyss. I'm a longtime listener as a fan of your show, but a first-time contributor. I'm going to come out of the gate very strong with a very lengthy email in response to your request for fan comments and ideas about the state of USC game day attendance and the trajectory of the program. I have an idea I believe will completely re-energize our fan base and propel South Carolina to the national spotlight if the powers that be you mentioned in your last podcast are bold enough to explore it. Um, quick disclaimer, I have no affiliation with the company I'm about, about to discuss. I just want what's best for the program. I firmly believe the strategic partnership I'm about to describe will add new exciting elements to the fan experience and create 
opportunities to incentivize fans to go to the stadium in a world where it's becoming increasingly in, increasingly difficult to justify leaving the couch. Interesting stuff. And I agree. I think leaving the couch has been an issue <laughs> in our country uh, here for the last couple of years. Uh, in short, the idea is for the athletic department to follow the lead of professional sports organizations like FC Barcelona, Manchester City, the UFC, as well as the Boston Celtics, partnering with a crypto company to launch our own blockchain-enabled Gamecock fan token. I personally, personally think the token should be called a um, dollar sign spur, but I'm open to suggestions. I would encourage you to explore this company's site and other resources to better understand the concept of fan tokens and their potential benefits. I don't know anything about this, by the way. Uh, I have a couple of, uh, I have some Bitcoin, you know, but I, it's, I'm, I'm, some of you guys really get into it. And I don't, Upon launch, Gamecock fans can buy the fan token as token holders. They'll be able to engage with USC Athletics like never before. For example, holder of X amount of spur can be granted the right to vote on things like uniform combinations, merchandise designs, and even future non-conference opponents. As a way to better encourage game day attendance, spur holders could be offered access to discounted game tickets, exclusive stadium entrance, priority seating, et cetera, et cetera. That's an interesting thing. Um you know, another aspect of this idea I found really exciting is the fan tokens can be burned to reduce overall supply and, as a result, increase the value of remaining tokens held by loyal fans. USC could have predetermined burn events that, if achieved, would make spur holders very happy from a financial perspective, like beating Clemson, selling out a home game, cracking the top 25, winning the SEC, SEC East. This would introduce a revolutionary new element to fan experience, which I believe would attract an entirely new, more financially motivated audience to our program while rewarding existing fans. The last thing I'll bring up is indeed the impact something like this would have on NIL, which I know is something you worry about when it comes to the future of South Carolina football. USC establishing itself as the innovative leader at the intersection of the area of our growing crypto industry and college athletics would invite countless crypto startups with robust financial backing and marketing budgets to descend upon South Carolina and players with NIL deals as a means of pushing their own projects. If you have read this far, I'm truly impressed and grateful for your time and consideration. And he sends an explainer video forever to the Ego Gamecocks, Adam. I appreciate it, Adam. Um, look, I don't know much about this. It sounds good to me. I mean, you probably – this company would have to pitch it. Uh, my question would be, would our fan – would this fan base be ready for something like this? Because crypto is one of those things. It's kind of like the internet back in the 90s. People are into it. You get into it. You see it's growing. You see the future. And, um, and I said I don't know anything about it. I don't know anything about the details of it. But I know that it's it's a thing and it, it, it's becoming popular. Um, but there's still some people that are adverse. You know, back in the night, there's still people reading the news, the actual paper newspaper and all that. You know, people uh, – and, and a lot of times college sports fans are creatures of habit. I know that whenever we change the message board format on the Big Spur, people complain. But uh, great idea. You know, um, I think uh, anything like this could, could really help. Drew says – so Sunday teleconference. After Sunday's teleconference with Beamer, it's hard to not be concerned. He mentioned the offense isn't too complex. Compared to the complexity when he was at UGA in Oklahoma, when they were working, nobody questions the complexity. Also mentioned mental errors were very low. I'm not understanding how after eight games in this offensive performance, 
you can come away with those evaluations, not expecting Shane to throw anyone under the bus, but saying we just need to execute better after what we've seen for eight games doesn't cut it. You've been critical of Satterfield this season with those comments. Do you see a change coming at all? I, it's hard to say on the change. And, you know, I, I would hope a lot of people believe that there will be. Um, but I'd, I'd be lying if I said, oh, I've confirmed it. It's, it's done. Um, and I talked about the teleconference earlier, and, you know, I'll just let that stand as far as what I think about that. But, um, you know, again, Oklahoma runs a college college offense, you know. It's, <laughs> uh, it wasn't hard for East Carolina's players to learn it and Oklahoma's players to learn it, you know. I, I don't know. All right, Hudson, I'm going to have to – all right, so this is a long one too. All right. Listen to your last podcast on Friday evening. Last 15 minutes had me very concerned. I think there are areas that could be approved to bring fans back to the stadium. The root calls of all attendance problems or COVID television, cell service at the stadium, ticket prices, wins and losses. And you, and you don't have a pass out too. You know, some places you can get a pass out and come back in. So, but let's assume the most important piece is the last. All right, so he goes through problem. Gamecock fans are exhausted. I agree. You have mentioned this many times. This team has been through a lot. I agree with you, but so is the fan base. And I agree, they have. We know the story with football. Muschamp pleaded with fans to show up and be loud every time we did. The rug got pulled out from under us, as you would say. Absolutely. But that was okay because we're Gamecocks and we'll only support until we can't anymore. So much of the same with the other two of the big three men's sports. I do believe baseball is on the right track with Coach Kingston. I don't know. I don't know about that. I I hope uh, I get most of my baseball info from Whittle. So I uh, hope hope they're on the right track. Uh, the golden opportunity to get the College World Series last year, though, and I didn't do it. My point here is that fans have reached a level of apathy that started in 2015 and is carrying on till now. Much like Beamer has to rebuild the locker room, he has to rebuild this fan base, and I think Ray Tanner has some responsibility here as well. We need to be able to trust that when Coach Beamer says we have a multiple exciting offense on the field, it's going to come true, which hasn't happened yet. But that can be fixed. I believe he'll make the right changes in the offseason. If he doesn't, he's going to lose many in the fan base. And we're looking at 10 years in the abyss. So the solution is Coach Beamer needs to continue to be a people's coach, be involved with the community, be upfront and honest when things are uh, not, and don't be closed off and be confrontational, continue to Preach family and love and a culture that includes Gamecock athletes and fans. Yeah, and I guess what's been so hard about it because I think I think Shane like nailed it, you know, nailed it until the season started. Yeah, I, I think he nailed it. He, he did a bunch of a bunch of media. Was at all the Gamecock club meetings. Was really really enthusiastic, positive, you know, and 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 and, I, and he's been positive this season. It's just it hasn't. I get it that it hasn't really matched. Um, the reality of what you see on Saturdays. Uh, number two problem. This one's pointed directly at the administration and the athletic department. Cater to fans, not businesses. Uh, what I mean by this is quit trying to improve the experience with improvement to private corporate suites, expensive club seating, and concentrate on improving the experience of the fans who've worked hard to purchase season tickets in the nosebleed uh, to the front row to the 50-yard line for years now. I've sat all over williams Bryce. I've been lucky enough to sit in the private boxes. And you know where it was really loud and full of passion? I'll give you a hint. It wasn't in the private boxes. It's time for ticket prices to drop to a level where those fans who love the Gamecocks, no matter what, can afford to come to a game. I have no idea what the Gamecocks 
athletic department PL looks like, but I know there is wiggle room to lower prices enough to bring affordability back to the program. Yeah, and look, season ticket sales were not up this year. Um, not up. Uh, and, and I think that a lot of times in business, when you, you know, you, you never really want to like, undercut yourself you want to make as much as you can and it is a, it is a business but i also think there comes a time when you know you've got to drop certain in, the price of certain inventory to move it you know and uh that's the deal you know i i would um i would consider i've been I kind of advocating that for a year and i'm not talking about you know look they have to sell boxes and they have to, to do things for, to cater to corporate people in terms of the luxury boxes that those make so much money, so much money. And you need that. Uh, every, every athletic sports team, athletic program, whatever, they all need it. Right. Uh, but I also think that, you know, that there's something to be said for getting the average fans back and the people that love the Gamecocks problem I hate to even list this one, but where Totten Technology is today, it needs to be addressed. Get Wi-Fi cell service in Williams-Brice. I agree, period. Uh, and you explain why. I'll skip over that. But no, no question. that, And that's a problem at a lot of stadiums. Uh, but they need to figure it out uh, and, and just boost it, make it awesome, you know. Problem, television has gotten so good, it's hard to match that experience at a game. I'm guilty of skipping out on games to sit on my back porch with the grill rolling in the game. But there's nothing I enjoy more than a Saturday at Williams-Brice solution. I'm not going to pretend to be a creative director and know how to match the experience of the game, but I think improving sound quality along with the LED lights and video board could be a good start for this issue. Yeah, and I think winning too, because, you know, people do love going to the games. It's exciting. But when you're sitting there and you're looking at it and you're like, well, you know, they're playing a team they should beat. And, you know, it's going to be on TV and all that good stuff. Uh, and then five, he's just like winning, puts butts in seats. And I agree. Um, you know, and, and he goes on to mention things like Caslin and frustration with political intervention in sports and all that good stuff. But that's a good stuff. Good start there, Hudson. And, and there's not too much I disagree with there. Darian says, any truth to the Sneed flip? I uh, mentioned that. Uh, Gamecocks are trying. Let's just see what happens. Uh, Brad says, hey, it's Brad from Belton. Enjoy your podcast the last couple of months. Your ha- hands down, head and shoulders, the best. I, too, am extremely concerned about the future of the program, especially with the optics of the embarrassing lack of attendance this year. I think it could be contributed to many different things, but mainly a testament to the times we live in. It's an instant gratification world. And unfortunately, as each year passes, we lose more and more of the diehards that have packed waves rice for decades. Younger generations long for that immediate result and take no pleasure out of rooting their team through the hard times. That's what used to make our program tick. We may not always have the best facilities or talent on the field, but opposing teams would be in a dogfight when they came to Williams Price because of the environment which at times led to an overachieving Gamecock team. The players feed off that energy, and if we lose that, we're in bad shape. Yes, the one consistent of Gamecock football uh, the whole time I've been alive has been the fan support. And we are in a time where it's probably unrealistic to expect it to ever go back like it was, where you know, you'd have 78,000 for a FCS team, you know. <laughs> um but I think it can – I mean, I, you know, there's a difference between, hey, it's just going to be down because of the times we live in. And 
what's been happening lately. I also think that we price that type of fan outcome into the games by trying to improve facilities and keep up with the Joneses. Maybe it's time we take a break from some of the improvement, cheap in the seats again, and get some butts back in the bleachers or at least strike a balance here. I don't think it's an either or. I, I think with the television money, especially the television money that's going to be coming, because there's two things happening with the SEC television money right now, and that's a huge bunch of it, right? That, that The TV money is unbelievable. You still make money off season ticket sales. And, and, again, let me remind you, season ticket sales were down significantly this year, okay? Down significantly. Uh, they set a record for first-time season ticket buyers, but they didn't set her. I mean, I, I think I only sold like 40,000. That number's in 10,000 10, light right there, right? Uh, and coming off of COVID and all that, I think is to be expected. I think some people stopped, didn't go to games last year, and they decided they liked it. Uh, and when you're not winning, not, not a lot of people are going to show up. I mean, even the Kentucky game, that, that game that game should have been a lot fuller on the in the upper decks than it was. Now, it was a good crowd. You know, uh, but I, I think you can have because there, there's two things happening with the SEC TV deal is number one, uh, the CBS game of the week is going to ESPN and Disney. And that's going to be a I mean, CBS didn't even bid on it because of the money Disney and ESPN were offering. And that's going to enable the game of the week in the SEC to be a night game and things like that. I, I have mixed feelings about it and not because CBS owns 24 seven or anything like that. I just. You know, Vern Lundquist, Brad Nessler, 3.30 kickoff. You know it's a big game. Uh, I'm going to miss that, you know, quite frankly, because ESPN's broadcast ABCs, they're kind of just the same. Uh, so I'm going to miss that. Da, 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 da. I'm going to miss that. But uh, it's going to be a lot more money per school. And then with Texas and Oklahoma coming into the league, boy, the value is going to go up even more. So, you know – I don't think money is going to be an issue in any SEC school moving forward. I know that they're kind of in a period right now where they lost a lot because of COVID, had to get some loans, they're going to have to pay back, that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, I, money here in two or three years ain't going to be an issue. So I think you can lower tickets. Um, you know, same concept with the Colonial Life Arena, but we can talk about that later because we're running out of time and I've got to get to a – here in a couple hours to an Atlanta Braves watch party. So that was disappointing the other Sunday night, but uh, back at it today in Houston, I'm a Braves guy. So pretty excited about that. Um, and I, I'm, I'm with you, Brad. Whatever you can do to, to, to bring some folks back, and not the, not the protesters, because, you know, those guys that are, I'm not going to buy season tickets till Tanner's fired or whatever, that, those people aren't helpful. I don't think you miss them. Uh, but the folks that really are like, you know, I can't afford it anymore. Love the Gamecocks. I live and die with every play, but I can just watch it on TV. Uh, and my family, you know, I can use that money to help my family in some way or, or, or whatnot because it's just too high. I think those folks that would come if it were cheaper, you need to reach back out and, and create something. And, and, and those folks were sitting in East Upper anyway, you know, and they loved it. I mean, East, I mean, you know, <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's just kind of sad that, that that's happened, but, and, and it's happened at, at a lot of schools. Carolina is not unique uh, for this. And if you're, you're, you know, you're a big time college football program, you're, you're ready to roll. And, and, you know, prices, they, they haven't jacked them up that much uh, since Spurrier left really, but uh, 
you know, they have gone up and you got the seed tax and all that. But, um, you know, so we'll see, see what happens. Well, Jeff says, we don't learn. Well, how did we get here? We don't learn from history. So you and I have been around the program for a long time. We've seen this before. We hired back-to-back unproven coaches, at least at our level, coaches, and that ended with an 0-11 season. Uh, yeah, Holtz, you got to say Holtz did the 0-11, but it led to that. You know, you're right. You got uh, Sparky, and I, I'm still convinced if Spark, Sparky probably could have gotten another year or two. Um Maybe things that have been bad because I mean he was he was recruiting well and again he left he left more players for Brad Scott than Brad Scott left for Lou Holtz but you know and Scott left some players for Lou Holtz don't get me wrong uh, we followed those debacles with back to back Hall of Fame coaches that brought a level of success we've never had and many new fans those fans all know eleven win seasons beating Clemson five straight then we are must champ and let's face it Tanner blew it badly from start to finish with Muschamp from his initial hiring against the will of the fans to increasing his buyout to 18 million. Yeah. You know, I understand. Look, I'm a little bit different with this. It obviously didn't end well. And I I ended up being wrong that Will Muschamp could build the program. Um, Also did not have all the information about offensive coordinator and all that, you know, obviously that uh, that's interesting. And, you know, you, you live and you learn sometimes. Um, And and there were all those reasons that sounded like excuses that Muschamp did not win at Florida were valid reasons, you know? Uh, And I, I I think that when you looked at the roster at that point in time, there's because you're right. Uh, what you said previously, the fans know 11 win seasons beating Clemson, et cetera. And you look at the roster and it's bad. The roster was bad. I mean, look, I, you know, get, don't get me wrong. It was bad. It was way worse than it is now when he took over. Uh, and you're like, I need somebody that can get in here that knows recruiting, that can recruit, that can, you know, bring some players in and, and away you go. And like Muschamp did that to a certain extent. 2016 class, look at how many good players he found in 30 days. Uh, and I don't think recruiting was that issue. Um, and he said he let Muschamp go on two seasons too long. I can make a point about 2019, but, you know, there are a lot of good players in that 2020 class that I think will help Shane Beamer move forward. The level of frustration with it. Now, look, I'll back up and we address this. Now, you look back and at the time, Matt Rule was at Temple and Matt Campbell was at Toledo and, Either one of those guys would have taken the job. I think Gamecock fans may have rioted if you go hire the Toledo coach or the Temple coach. The guys that were in the mix for the job, Rich Rodriguez, Greg Schiano, Willie Taggart. I, you know, Schiano, to me, of all those guys, would have probably been the best. But, I mean, I mean, we saw what happened when Tennessee tried to hire Schiano. Um, well, anyway, that's, that's kind of the deal there. Uh and Greg Schiano wanted the job pretty bad. Pretty bad. Told that by an excellent source. Now we have a new HBC again, unproven, that never ran a program of any size, much less in the major school. That's not a knock on him and his inexperience has shown up. He's let his OC sour most of the goodwill he did have. I want him to succeed and believe he can given enough time, but I'm sure I'm unsure if he will get it. 
than all the things we already spoke of with attendance. The insane cost, the stadium experience at this point changed. You'd have Kim recall plays and decide on the best dozen or so that Jason can run and our, our line can block and go. It can't be worse. And there will at least be a better chance of getting those two wins we so desperately need right now as a program. Then some of the negativity should subside. Yeah, if game guys end up going bowling this year, you know, I, I think people kind of rally back, rally back. And, it, and it's, it's, it's a different thing than Muschamp, where there are some people – now there are – there's like 10% of the fan – like Muschamp, 40% of the fan base is never – you know, he, he'd need to win significantly, you know. Um, and he'd go through the season, and, and, and like the previous emailer said, he, everybody'd show up, there'd be some goodwill finally. Uh, and then they go lay a complete egg. Uh, and I can't hate the number of times, you know, let's go back to 2017, which was a, a critical moment. You know, Carolina was six and seven the year before Jake's back. You know, all kinds of guys that on that offense that played in the NFL, the defense is very opportunistic. You beat NC state really had no business beating them on the road. You beat Missouri on the road. Uh, you come back against the Kentucky team that ended up being average as grit seven and six that year. And the place is packed and you score and all that. And then the bottom falls out and you lose. Uh, and then you work that, that 2017 team worked hard. You know, they, they got back, they survived Louisiana tech. They blew it at A&M, but they beat Vandy. They beat Tennessee, uh, beat Wofford pretty easily, uh, played beat Florida, Played Georgia really kind of very competitive on the road. So everybody's back for Clemson, right? Because that was Dabo's uh, of the playoff teams he had. That was his worst team by far. It was a Kelly Bryant team. You know, Gamecocks had a chance to play with them, and they go out and lay an egg. They have no offensive plan. The defense plays out of control, has all kinds of penalties. Uh, Hunter Renfro runs right past everybody. Uh, fans throw things on the field. It's a terrible night. So there you go. The next year, you go all the way through the respectable game at Clemson with the offense. They, you know, beat Akron to get the seven wins. The, the the game at the Swamp was really tough to swallow, but they beat Ole Miss on the road. They beat Tennessee. You get to the Belt Bowl against Virginia. You have a chance to win eight after winning nine, uh, and that was with most of the defense out with injuries, right? That defense was completely depleted. Um. And you lay another egg, 28 nothing to Virginia. All right, so then that was a body blow for the fan base. And you come back the next year, okay, everybody's back. You know, Bentley's back, senior year. North Carolina's, you know, Mac Brown's debut as the coach up there. A lot of people are thinking it's not going to work. You go to Charlotte and you blow a 20-9 to lead and you lose. And that was that. that's when it just started kind of spiraling. Even at that, folks. Even at that, that team rallied, beat Kentucky, won an improbable game at Georgia. You come back, you got a great shot. If you knock off the Gators, beating two top ten teams in a row, put yourself in a position for a bowl game with a freshman at quarterback and Ryan Holinsky, you know, at that point, everything's fine. And then for the second year in a row, Todd Grantham uh, eats uh, Brian McClendon's lunch in the fourth quarter. Uh you blow a lead, uh, a game ends up being, what, 38-27. Um, and then, you know, whatever shred of credibility or – I don't want to say credibility, but goodwill you had went out the window the next weekend in Knoxville, and then that was that. That was that. Um, you know, maybe there was some chance to turn it last year if you'd have beaten LSU on the road 
after Auburn or something like that. I don't know, but it's uh, it's that. But you know, he goes on to say, I don't envy these decision makers if they lose the fan base. It'll be very hard to get back. Look at Major League Baseball, how long it took them to recover from the strike attendance wise. I'm with you, JC. I'm very concerned we could be in serious trouble. These are my thoughts and opinions. Hope most of it is way off. Sincerely worried fan. And, and Jeff, I'm there. I mean, I, I you know, and it, it's not just exact, it's not just the performance on Saturdays. I think there's a lot of factors here that if things don't turn, you know, then you're digging an even bigger hole. And then all of a sudden, man, you're looking at 10, 15 years since Spurrier had his run. Uh, a long time of losing. Recruits don't grow up thinking you're any any good, you know. I mean, maybe that's the case now. But uh, it's uh, – and then what's there to sell if you lose the fan base? That's my question. If you lose the fan base, what, what, are, you, what are you now having – what do you have to sell to recruits, you know? And so that that that's the concern of mine. Now, look, all kinds of ways to fix this, all kinds of ways to, to get it done. Um, and with that uh, – and, and it starts with fixing the offense, you know. I don't know – I don't know if they can fix it by Saturday, you know. I, I, don't, I don't know what to expect for the rest of the year on that side of the ball, but but that would be very helpful if, uh, if, if they were able to kind of turn it and um, – you know, I'm not trying to be a worry wart, Debbie Downer. You guys know me. I'm usually extremely positive, but you, you can kind of see the storm clouds gathering. And, um, you know, it, 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 it's, it's, it's troublesome what's been, what's been happening. Um, and not just on the field, not just on the field, guys. I mean, you know, attendance, like you mentioned, I'm worried about the NIL thing. Uh, I have faith that all of us that are this concerned are probably overreacting. And I hope I am. I hope I am, but uh, I'm just trying to be real here. It's, it's, it's a, uh, it's a concern. Now, look, sometimes there's a lot of darkness before there's dawn. Right. And uh, we've seen it happen with this program a lot where just about everybody's ready to sign off and then something amazing happens. And uh, things are right back, and it's the same confident, loyal bunch that it's always been. Um, I can point to several times where that's that's happened through the years, regardless of the coach or or whatever. But um, you know, right now, just sort of with all the changes in college football, you know, the the attendance issue, which I've my whole life I've never seen it like that. I've never seen the stadium like that. Um, you know, you 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 would be blind uh, if you didn't think huh this thing you know some good things need to start happening and um look I've, i'll say this with all the criticism of the offense and all that that i've had i i have faith in shane beamer um, and, and i know he ticks some of y'all off with uh the public comments and the press conferences but you know look it's a school steve spurrier worked at so you're used to brutal honesty for 10 and a half years you know, it's going to be, it's going to be different, you know, with, with Muschamp and then uh, with Beamer. Um, n- nobody's Steve Spurrier. And I, and I, I, I would hope, and I believe in saying that there's only one Steve Spurrier. Uh, I hope and believe that I'm not sitting here saying that that's the only person that can win at South Carolina. 
Um, because there's some people that believe that, and I don't. I don't. I believe that with the right plan, this program can can be good and contend in the SEC East. You know, we'll we'll see if they remain, if the SEC East remains after expansion and things like that, because that's another thing that you got to get to worry about, which you have to have to have to get to work get to worrying about because you know there's a lot of talk. You know, a couple of guys in particular I talked to that think they're going to divisions and not going to pods. Um, and that Alabama and Auburn are coming to the east, Missouri to the west with Texas and Oklahoma. That that all of a sudden changes a lot about this job. Cause you always want the path of least resistance and and, and all of that. But anyway, that debate is for another time. Um this has been the Inside the Gamecast podcast. I appreciate all of you uh, chiming in. Probably no episode tomorrow. I'll be on JB and Goldwater. We'll be back with predictions later this week and the week wrap later this week. Probably looking at Friday uh, for the next one because uh, I've got, like I said, I, you know, maybe maybe Thursday. I've got some World Series stuff i got to look at. Anyway, um, thank you all for joining me uh, or for contributing. This has been Inside the Gamecast podcast. Everyone have a wonderful day.